same as my analogy with the church's check-in earlier, knowing your market. About knowing the demographics. Right. You know, something I talk about quite a bit in my business with my customers is that you spend 20% of your time on 80% of your customers and 80% of your time on 20% of your customers. And it's that 20% of your customers that are not the ideal fits Mm -hmm. for your business. You know, you have to have an ability... You know, particularly when you're first starting the business, you sort of get sucked into, I'm, I'm looking for any money that I can get. If I got a customer that's calling me, I'm going to try and make a sale. Even though post-sale or whatever, you might spend such a tremendous amount of time with the customer because they're not an ideal fit. And can you stop yourself? And when a customer first comes in, if you really know your market and who your ideal customer is, if you don't re- if you recognize them as they're not an ideal fit, can you still do a good job with your brand and make recommendations of other companies that would be better fits for them, knowing that you're not going to get a sale out of that person? Right. And can you have that discipline to do that? Well, in a way, I've been hurt. I've heard that put, and especially for you know people who are just launching their business or new entrepreneur, somebody that's really taking that leap. I think this is amazing advice. Is don't necessarily go the route of throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks in that manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Learn your market, do your R&D, do your market research, know who your ideal client is. Because at first, being in business now for almost four years, I've experienced this because I did that at one point. <laughs> but it may seem slower at first to find your ideal clients. Mm-hmm. But when you find those ideal clients they typically spend more money with you. Their business is typically good quality and it sticks. And they also become part of that tribe because you have solved the problem at hand that you're trying to solve originally. And so that tribe will naturally grow. As we talked about last week, tribe to tribe communication, they start for lack of a better term, recruiting more people to your tribe. Welcome to the Generate Your Value podcast. I'm your co-host, Andy McDowell, founder and owner of Generate Your Value, providing life, leadership, and small business coaching services in the Atlanta area. And I'm Zach Levy, your other co-host. I run a nationwide financial service business with my wife, Megan. Together, Zach and I have the intention to bring you tips, concepts, ideas, suggestions, stories, and analogies from A to Z, which will help you to grow your personal brand and small business in such a way that joy, happiness, and success as you define it for yourself are achieved. We hope to use our gifts, talents, and experiences in business to generate value in your life. And with that being said, let's move to our topic for today. Tuesday and thank you for joining us today for the Generate Your Value podcast. This week's episode is going to be on sales following last week's episode on your tribe which ties in very well. I'm your co-host Zach Levy joined of course by the Andy McDowell. 
Good morning. Good morning. Great to see you. Good and again, you. my much better half and beautiful wife, Megan Levy. Good morning. Glad to be here again. Glad to have you. So uh, today's episode is on everybody's favorite topic, sales, right? So we're going to talk about sales in a general form as well as salespeople, what makes good salespeople, the fact that everybody is a salesperson, all those uh, type of points today. So, Zach, you know I'm a great uh, fan of analogies. I've probably yes. used uh, more on you than you probably can... That's the way my brain works. Well, well, you can so. start pulling out a logbook or something and start writing all these down, right? Because yeah. I, I just I, analogous, I, an analogous. The way my brain book. works and the way I think about life, right, is through analogies <laughs> to try and help people to connect to ideas. Right, mine's either on analogies or song lyrics. So yeah, right. We'll go with analogies today. Okay. So the analogy I want to start off with today, when we talk about sales, is a football team and a football game. Most people obviously are familiar with the fact that in football you have an offense that has the ball, tries to move the ball down the field and score points, whereas the defense on the other team is trying to prevent that. On the offensive side, you have an offensive line, you have a quarterback, you have wide receivers and a running back. Not all of those, well, offensive line quarterbacks always on the field, but running backs and wide receivers sort of move in and out. Then on the de defensive side, you have defensive line, you got linebackers, and then the, the backfield full of corners and safeties. And they have their various roles as well. But if we want to use a football team and a football game is an analogy. Let's pretend that our product or service that we're offering out on the marketplace is our pick one, either a defensive line or an offensive line, because they can be offensive in nature, scoring points, which in the case of the business world is bringing in money and profits, or also fulfills at the same time a good role as a defensive line in preventing others and entering the marketplace and having a good show, if you will, well, the a lot of money and profits as well, right? That's the competition. The saying that the best offense is a good defense. Right. Comes into play here. Maybe. Product or service is your offensive or defensive line. Len, let's think about the quarterback being our marketing program. It's how we're doing our play calling. How, you know, how are we sending our message about who we are, what our brand is, what the actual product or service is, what problems it's solving out in the marketplace and so forth as the quarterback. And then the running backs and wide receivers are our actual sales team, right? Because they're the ones that are interacting with the customers and actually carrying the ball, if you will, so to speak, across the line into the end zone to score the touchdown or the points. Right, right. since they're actually working with the customer and actually getting that contract signed or the sale done actually gets the product to service in the customer's hands. If we can think of it that way, uh, and we'll sort of break down each of those here in detail in just a second, but if we think about how we're delivering on our business and delivering on our why as a business, I think that's a good analogy that everyday folks can, can see in their minds, how those three items, your product, your service, your marketing and your sales team are all working together to bring victory, so to speak, into the business. Right. And I love the analogy of a quarterback as your marketing strategy, calling the plays, calling audibles if needed, mm -hmm. right? Calling motion, whatever it may be that is needed to score the points, quote unquote, right? But even before that, 
what every good team needs, a good quarterback needs, is a good playbook right. to call plays out of. Right. Right. So, of course, like you said, start with why, start with the business model, come up with a strategy, your R&D, your research and development. Everything in the playbook is going to dictate how effective your your quarterback really is. Right, and how your competition's competing against you because right. with one particular company that's your competition, you might need have to run the ball a lot versus another company, you might have to be throwing the ball a lot, you know, be, depending on what their strengths right. so and weaknesses are in the marketplace, right? So yeah. you need a playbook that covers all of that. And that's what marketing does for you. Your market research, the equivalent of watching film, right? Your competition. Mm -hmm. And... You know, seeing holes in the competition that you can fill in so that you can push the competition out of the marketplace and take over further. But it all starts with the planning phase, right? It starts mm -hmm. with what is your business model? What is your strategy? What is your why? Like you said, research and development to develop the overall game plan that your company's trying to do. And that's probably more than 50% of your success happens in the off-season. Mm -hmm. Right? Are your players getting in the gym? How well are they getting conditioned? How much are they studying the playbook? How much are they getting into the film room and analyzing what we as a team is doing well, what we're not doing well, what is the competition doing well and not don't doing so well? That then develops your go-to-market strategy that your quarterback, in this case the marketing team, can put together to be successful out in the business world when it comes game time. And really through that market research, everything, the off season, again, biz, you know, I've said this before, but business 101, of course, is find a problem and solve it, find a need and fill it. Mm -hmm. And the bigger problem that you're solving, the more opportunity you have to make more money. Cause exactly. Because the, the need is just so, so much higher out in the world. The need is bigger for you to, I mean, to bring our whole thing back in to generate more value. But that sales team, they have to know what problem is being solved. I mean, it goes back to creating that tribe, right? That we talked about last week is they've got to be bought in. They've got to be, I would almost say fanatical about the why as you are. We take it back to football. Your running backs and wide receivers have to know their routes, mm -hmm. why they're doing the routes in that particular way. And how does that route allow them, If in the case of wide receivers, how does that route get them wide open for the quarterback or the marketing team to, to get the ball to them, to score the touchdown, right? If you, if you don't study the, the playbook and understand why, why is it that I'm, I'm a wide receiver but my main goal or my main job on this particular play is to block? What does that do? What does that do for my team and how does that make my team successful in running this play? Well, I've got a running back that's coming in and running around the strong side uh, that I need to be blocking my, my defender that's going to be in front of me, whether it's a safety or corner or whatever, mm -hmm. to make room for the running back to gain more yardage. If they don't study the playbook in that way and so forth, then they're not going to be successful in helping the team, right? And I guess you could say knowing their why at that time, at that space in time on that certain play. Right. right. And each player, again, like you said, knowing their role is really the key because if you have 
a wide receiver that's supposed to block on a play, but they want to go out for a pass, everything collapses because then you have a corner, another player, defensive player that gets to your quarterback and then the play is unsuccessful. The marketing strategy is unsuccessful. Right. Right. So how does all this play into your guys' business? When you think about sales and um, so forth in your line of business, does this fit? I mean, you're in a service business. You're trying to find your tribe. Mm -hmm. You're trying to recruit good salespeople that can go out there and bring in business. Does this all fit? In a service business, is there anything that's slightly different than what we've talked about? Not really. I mean, it's it's the same thing. The service is the product. And it's got to be an effective service. There's got to be the right market research. You've got to know who you should be talking to because you don't want to waste time in the wrong market. You don't want to waste time. I mean, I, I love to use the analogy when I'm really teaching new people about who to talk to. I said, for example, a church's chicken doesn't build a restaurant in um, a multi-million dollar neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Right? Because... People that live in multi-million dollar homes don't typically eat there. Ruth's Chris is going to build there. Right. Right. So it's the same as the market research, knowing who you need to talk to and knowing their role. Because in the beginning, they might want to go out and they might want to catch the pass. When in fact, they need to stay in the backfield and block. The analogies go hand in hand, whether it's a product business or a service business. With having the marketing strategy, but first doing the research, knowing exactly what you're marketing, basically knowing what play to call, calling the play and sticking with it and everybody that is involved in that play filling the proper roles. So let's talk about the interaction that a salesperson has with a particular customer, right? Is it transactional in nature or is it relationship in nature? I mean, is it I guess it really depends on the business you're in. That's what I was about to say. Is it depends you know, on the if it's industry. more retail, it's going to be a little bit more transactional in nature than relationship as opposed to other businesses. But there's still a component of the relational part in retail, right? Particularly. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about tribes, I mean, Apple's technically retail, but they have an amazing relationship with their cl- with their customer base. Yeah, by nature of their brand and their product right. and so forth. You get in a highly competitive retail type business like Starbucks or a coffee shop, right? You're going to have a lot of them in a city or a town, fairly highly competitive, or the airline industry, you know, where the services of of getting people from point A to point B is pretty Mm -hmm. standard. That's the, the commodity, if you will, of the business and what you're really differentiating yourself is on that service, that relationship you have. Right. And I think customer. I think that creates loyalty. You know, the brands that are in, in any sector that are, you know, trying to create a culture and a feeling of buying from that company or using a service from that company. So you said airlines, Southwest tries to make the plane ride experience more fun for the average American. And then, you know, Zach talking about Apple, people being so brand loyal because of the quality of the product and how it makes you feel Starbucks with their coffee, you know, they've created a feeling for the general public that makes them want to keep coming back. It creates a inherent relationship. 
Right, and the person, the barista <clears throat> or salesperson behind the counter. Right. How they their relationship with the customer lasts 60 seconds maybe, but it's in that repetitive nature and in that 60 seconds that right. helps to instill the brand, maybe even upsells. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you well, mentioned- you just, you just want a coffee, how about a Danish with that You know, right. kind of thing, well, right? Interestingly enough, so I don't think I've delved in this too much on the podcast, but- my former career being a district manager for uh, Waffle House, they actually call it's not a server role. Mm-hmm. They are the person delivering the food, taking the order, everything like that. On their name tag, it is salesperson. Mm-hmm. They are salespeople in the company, and they, you know, really with the system. That's something that company is really good at. Is they are one big system. <laughs> But they're more trained than a lot of other servers and restaurants that I've ever seen to be really good at building relationships, having a smile on their face, making the customer feel welcome, but also being able to, like you said, you know, hey, you want any toppings on those hash browns or something like that, being able to have that relationship knowing they're regulars because with that type of restaurant, you've got morning regulars, third shift regulars, things like that. And those relationships are built. So whereas a restaurant may be seen necessarily as transactional at first, there's a lot of relationship that does go into it. So I think depending on the industry, it, it there's got to be both. Well, it's, a, it's a way of differentiation, right? So right. three of us have a good friend uh, who's a flight attendant for a major airline. Mm-hmm. He has a notorious knack for being able to look when he services the, the first class or business class front area where you only have like 12 or 16 passengers, but he can quickly look at his manifest list of who's on board and memorizes everybody's name. Mr. Smith, Mr. Williams, Mrs. Lovejoy, whatever, just like that. Mm-hmm. And so he's able to then give that personal touch with the customers by remembering the name right away without, you know, some cases I used to fly a lot in my former life, my former career. It's usually uh, they're looking down at a list, particularly if you're flying business class internationally, right? They're coming by to get your meal order and they're looking at your name in a list and then that's the last time you ever hear your name mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Because they don't have that differentiator that a friend has to be able to do that that quick memorization and that goes people's in, names. That goes into training, <clears throat> training of salespeople, right? To really get really good at that craft, because especially whether it's a a B two B sale or a B two C, that relationship is so key. I mean, somebody's the sweetest sound to somebody's ears is their own name. When we're talking, when we're training new people, it's you know, when I'm demonstrating for them or they're observing me sitting with a client. I always follow up and ask them, did you notice how many times I said their name throughout the appointment through the presentation? And when I asked questions, I started off the question or ended the question with their name. Right. Because it ties them in. Right. Again, it builds that relationship. Even if your business is a product business, if you have salespeople out there, I mean, high-end retail, they do the same thing, right? 
not at a Walmart or something like that, but high-end retail, boutique shopping, things like that. There's those relationships there like that. Yeah, so what do we think are the major components of a good relationship that a salesperson would have with a customer? And I'll start it off. For me, the first one is building of trust, right? Mm -hmm. I don't care what relationship you're talking Mm -hmm. about in the world or how it's defined, whether it's husband, wife, parent-child, salesperson, the customer trust is a is just a huge thing for human beings, right? Yep. I'm not, I'm not going to feel good about buying a product or service from you if I don't trust you. If I don't think you're going to follow through with me or you're, you're lying through your teeth about what your product and service does or is supposed to do and you're not going to deliver on that, if trust is not there, it's not going to work. Right. What, what others are there? One that comes to mind for me is is consistency. And I think that goes into trust as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because looking at the most successful places, whether it's in retail, restaurant, whatever, they are delivering in a very consistent way, keeping people happy, like constantly. So the first one that comes to mind in that area is Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. They are very consistent with food. It always comes out the same way every time. They have a system to keep their long lines efficient and moving fastly. Their employees are trained <clears throat> to speak to the customers in a certain way every single time. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows my pleasure instead of you're welcome is their main thing. And every single employee has to have a smile on their face, has to treat the customer a certain kind of way. And that's why they keep getting, you know, longer and longer lines at lunchtime, <laughs> you know, because they just continue to deliver. And they pivoted with the pandemic. I mean, oh, all yeah, of a sudden all their business is going through the drive through and they, they offering staff deliver- outside mm-hmm. to develop or they invested in IT technology to quickly take orders and cars. Oh, yeah. and, Having two and three uh, lines. I and just, I just yeah. been amazed at the job they've done yeah. in the pandemic to keep their, oh, yeah. their well, business. They were they were positioned they were positioned to be there already because they already had everybody outmatched in the drive through arena. Right. And now that everything's drive through, they were like, We got this. We're right. already prepared for this. And then they added in delivery services on top of that to get to expedite it even more. And the one down down the street here invested in midstream in the pandemic in developing um, an area where typically people would pull up to the signage with a speaker to, to take right. the order. They now have big roof areas with heat mm-hmm. and everything else because their staff are outside in all kinds of weather mm-hmm. um, and so forth dealing with this. So keeping their customers in mind, but also their staff in yep. mind, they had no problems in investing in a little bit of, I say little bit in context, <laughs> but a little bit of money in each yep. of the stores to provide an environment because even when the pandemic goes away, it's still still going to be viable if their business keeps up. They're still going to have to keep some people out with a drive-through in order to keep the line officially Absolutely. moving. Particularly if they they only have one line, a dual line that comes and merges right before you get your food. Kind of scenario to really keep that line mm-hmm. that line going. You have to have people outside for the peak times just to make it more efficient. So That's- it's not a lost investment. That brings up another point is when they have those people outside versus you drive up to any other restaurant and you you know you don't see somebody until you get to the window, get your food or pay, is accessibility. You've got, I mean, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about the tribe last week, but your customers, your clients, have you have to be accessible to them. The product has to be accessible, but also the service people, the sales people have to be just as accessible 
to deliver that consistency. All right. Yeah, to answer questions and, or in order to speed up the process, if you've got a complex product and it takes many iterations mm-hmm. with your sales person to to finally get to that signed contract or whatever it may be, right. they've got to be accessible and available to the customer. Well, and even long-term relationships, if you go on certain companies' websites or things like that and you read reviews on their product or their service, usually the the negative reviews are, yeah, they had an unsatisfactory product experience, but what really drove them over the edge to put that negative review out on Google or on their website was poor response from customer service or no response from customer service to right that wrong. So there was no accessibility once the product was bought. Yeah, you also allow for the opportunity for competition to come in. Right, right. right? If you don't have that consistency or accessibility in the sales process, then you got customers throwing out their hands and say, the heck with this. Right. I'm going to somebody else, right? I got right. I got somebody that's knocking on my door and making phone calls to me all the time. I'll, I'll try them out because I'm not getting anything with this company. Right. Mm-hmm. Which all that together kind of trust, which your best salespeople are going to build trust quickly, right? They're really good at doing that, building a relationship quickly. But consistency, accessibility breeds ultimately long-term confidence. That's what really creates a, right, is having full confidence. And not to mention that confidence is going to also breed free marketing for you and word of mouth and things like that. So you get a compounding effect from that. Yeah. So you're talking about the confidence that a customer has. In the company, in, in the, the company, and, and, and that directly relates to a brand. Exactly. But there's also a point from the standpoint of confidence of the salesperson, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Are they walking in with confidence or portraying confidence in, I know my company, I know my mm-hmm. brand, I know the product or service that we're selling, I know who's a good fit for it. You know, are they coming in with strong punches, so to speak, in the sales process? Or are they walking in and, and you're, the customer's asking a lot of questions and they're not getting any answers? Or there's not a lot of confidence in the answers that they're getting? It has a major impact in terms of success from a sales perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite sayings around that is convinced people convince people. Right. So yeah. if your salesmen are on top of their game, they know their product, they believe in their product, they trust their product, then when they're delivering it to the customer's gonna feel that sense of, wow, like this is good. This guy's good. Li- they know what they're out doing. The company yeah. why and they're living out their own why. Yep. And to use some more uh, business cliches, but <laughs> another one that goes right along with that is competence breeds confidence. Mm-hmm. Right. Which Again, circle back to the start of the, the to of today's episode. Sorry, guys, I can't talk. But it's all about that market development, the training, the off-season training to create competence. So mm-hmm. your team, when they step on the field, they know that they can they can win the game. They can score the touchdown. They can complete a sixty-yard pass. Yeah, if you, you have a wide receiver that's not competent in knowing the playbook and has confidence that, you know, he or she can run the route. Right. And knows the why behind how how all those pieces work and have confidence in themselves, 
is going to set yourself up for so much better success in catching a pass and running for a touchdown than if the person's not real confident in themselves or in what's in the playbook from that standpoint. So let's talk about, let's go back to our previous episode in terms of the tribe concept, right? An important aspect for a salesperson is to know who the tribe is, right? Who's the product or service really right. marketed towards? Who's the ideal? What is the profile of an ideal customer or customers? And how do I find them? Right. Because right. marketing is doing the play call and they're out there putting commercials or advertisements and selling the brand, so to speak. But they're doing mass marketing. Right. Right. And hopefully they're putting their ads on channels whose demographics that watch that channel well, match more of their ideal customer. They're doing those type things. But in the end, particularly if your business requires a lot of cold calling, you got to know who's the right profile for the ideal customer and how do I find my tribe, right? Right. And this is a, this actually came from a different context, but you saying that really brought something to mind. Heard this on on kind of a motivational, another podcast or somewhere. Um, talking about Lamborghini, mm-hmm. right? That one of their executives or their CEO, somebody was asked, why don't you advertise on TV? He said, because our market doesn't spend their time watching TV. No. Mm-mm. Right? I mean, you're buying a car that costs as much as most people's homes. Mm-hmm. You know, th- those types of people aren't spending their time watching TV, so they don't market there. They market at very high-end events and high-end arenas and things like that where their market is. They know their market. They're not going to waste time, effort, or energy on creating a TV ad where most of the people that would see that ad can drool and dream about that car but will never really be at a point to buy said car. Same as my analogy with the church's chicken earlier, knowing your market. About knowing the demographics. Right. You know, something I talk about quite a bit in my business with my customers is that you spend 20% of your time on 80% of your customers and 80% of your time on 20% of your customers. And it's that 20% of your customers that are not the ideal fits Mm -hmm. for your business. You know, you have to have an ability, you know, particularly when you're first starting the business, you sort of get sucked into, I'm, I'm looking for any money that I can get. If I got a customer that's calling me, I'm going to try and make a sale. Even though post-sale or whatever, you might spend such a tremendous amount of time with the customer because they're not an ideal fit. And can you stop yourself? And when a customer first comes in, if you really know your market and who your ideal customer is, if you don't, re- if you recognize them as they're not an ideal fit, can you still do a good job with your brand and make recommendations of other companies that would be better fits for them, knowing that you're not going to get a sale out of that person. Right. And can you have that discipline to do that? Well, in a way I've been hurt, I've heard that put, and especially for, you know, people who are just launching their business or new entrepreneur, somebody that's really taking that leap. I think this is amazing advice is don't necessarily go the route of, throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks in that manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Learn your market, do your R&D, do your market research, know who your ideal client is. Because at first, being in business now for almost four years, I've experienced this because 
I did that at one point, <laughs> but it may seem slower at first to find your ideal clients. Mm-hmm. But when you find those ideal clients, they typically spend more money with you. Their business is typically good quality and it sticks. And they also become part of that tribe because you have solved the problem at hand that you're trying to solve originally. And so that tribe will naturally grow. As we talked about last week, tribe to tribe communication, they start for lack of a better term, recruiting more people to your tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get asked a lot about who my ideal customer is, life leadership, business coach. You know, and they're expecting answers about, well, it's this particular industry or that particular industry mm-hmm. or that particular size of company and so forth. But the reality is my ideal customer is a, a business owner, somebody who's responsible for what I call a profit loss. But more importantly is my, my ideal customer is somebody with a certain mindset in life. Mm-hmm. A certain mindset in business that are coachable, that are open to new ideas, willing to take the time and effort to invest in themselves and invest in their business from that standpoint. So it's a lot of intangibles for me as opposed to the sort of resume, if you will, of the business from that perspective. And that's if I take on a client that doesn't have those aspects, then that's my 20%. Right. And I just be knocking myself, my head against the wall trying to get them to see these ideas and try to incorporate it within their business to help them grow. If they don't have those aspects, then it's a waste of their time. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of money. The client has to to be prepared for what you have to offer. Right. And that's why I like to meet with them before we even sort of sign on the dotted line per se. Let's have a cup of coffee because out of that interaction, I'm going to be evaluating where is their head? Where is their heart? What do they want to do with their business? Do they have right. such a big ego that they can't take any coaching whatsoever because they think they've got it all figured out, even though their business mm-hmm. may not be doing well? Well, one of the um, biggest things I ask people when I'm interviewing prospective um, agents to work with us is for somebody to be successful with us, the biggest attribute you need is to be coachable, mm-hmm. right? And your best salespeople, your best players in football, your best athletes – are typically the most coachable. Right. They have that mindset. Right. To know I want to, I have a desire to be constantly improving my skills and my talents right. to be a better teammate and Constant so forth. Constant growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And that's why, why we keep pushing it on this podcast about the growth mindset is one of the biggest assets you can have in being successful in life. Right. Is and to know that you don't have it all figured out. And I think that's really to our next point. Once you know you're hitting the company's sweet spot is how can we really dictate a successful salesperson Mm -hmm. or kind of identify that? And one of the biggest things like you're saying is coachability, but it really, one of the big points is their ego. Are they, are they so ego driven that if they get told no, or that they get any criticism that they see it as just utter and complete disaster failure and quit because the only way anybody truly fails is if they quit, right? But right. are they going to have that quitters mentality or that growth mindset to where they say, okay, you know, I ran that play. I got pancake blocked, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I got knocked on my butt, but I saw what he did. I saw what my opponent did that time. I learned from it 
and I can adjust to overcome that and get better in the future. That's one big key I see when talking to successful salespeople is that they have a net, you know, they have a don't quit mentality and do whatever it takes. Yeah. And I think that goes over to any phase of life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, ego is the enemy. Is your ego built to be open to other ideas and grow yourself and so forth? Or have you shut yourself off so much from life and so forth that you now have arrogance or narcissism or any of those aspects built into it that you're not a willing to listen to the customer b think you've figured it all out for the customer and and why aren't you i don't understand why you're not buying this from me right and how are we evaluating after the fact the encounter with the customer and trying to figure out how could i do it better what did i miss right and you know another part and Megan, you can, I think you can definitely talk on this because you're much better at it than I am. And this is, we've talked about the male, female, you know, personality roles before, mm. but I've actually seen a lot of women come in and be amazing salespeople because of another big thing is one, they don't typically have as much pride as we men sure. do naturally because testosterone, <laughs> but being empathetic, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I watch you interact with people all the time that you're much better at this than I am. So we need, I'll let you talk on that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is being able to find that balance of being that go-getter salesperson, but also being able to take a step back and relate to the customer, slow it down a little bit and almost put a little bit of a nurturing feel to where they feel comfortable and not sold because that can happen sometimes. You can just be like, man, I'm going to get on my pitch and go. And the customer sitting back like this, just, this guy's just throwing me some sales pitch at me. I don't feel connected. I don't feel related to. And so being able to empathize with the customer and talk to them, ask them questions and make them feel like they're having some sort of control in the situation, not just having everything thrown at them. Right. So as human beings, we all want to be seen and heard. So Absolutely. If we, first of all, doing a lot of listening mm -hmm. in the beginning of the encounter and then saying phrases like after they've reached a point of the end of their story, so mm -hmm. to speak, you say, I'm sorry you've been going through that. That's a huge empathetic phrase in just one sentence that you right. can say that all of a sudden you're Mm -hmm. starting to really develop a connection with a customer because yeah. you just made that empathetic sentence yeah. to say, yeah. I'm sorry you've been going through that and having that struggle. I'm here to see if we can figure out together that we might have a product or service that can help you with that issue. Right. That's going to build trust. It's going to build confidence. It's going to build a relationship, a strong relationship or the start of one with a customer just by showing that empathy. Right. And a lot of people have a some sort of personal connection to whatever product or service that they're selling. Mm -hmm. So you're able to use your own experience and your own story to say, hey, I've been in your shoes before. Sure. I understand how you're feeling. Here's what happened to me. Or my story sounds exactly like yours. Right. And being a part of this company and doing what we do has made that part of my life so much better. Right. Because I know I have that story with our business. Zach has that story with our business. I know you have that story with your business. Mm -hmm. So being able to relate to them and say, hey, look, you're not alone. I've been there. I know other people that have been there. So stories tell and stories sell. So 
I mean, we know that works outside of the business world oh, yeah. in relationships with friends or whatever. So it naturally relates itself to, to move over to the business world and helping establish a relationship. Yeah. Softening the customer's heart, if you will. And Breaking making the them open to what your, what mm-hmm. your pitch and your message yeah. is going to be next, right? Yep. To say, I feel like I've been heard. Mm-hmm. Well, right? I feel if somebody has some sympathy or empathy of right. what my situation is and they're here to help me. Mm-hmm. You might have the best, by far, you know, second to none solution to their problem, mm-hmm. whether it is a product or a service. But I love the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Empathy is so important for your salespeople to have. It's, you know, times have definitely changed. Society has definitely changed. You used to have people wheeling and dealing in sales, right? Those times are long gone in today's society. It's all about emotion. It's all about how people feel and how do you make them feel? Are they heard, right? People want to be acknowledged. They want to be seen. They want to be heard before they know how you can fix their problem. Man, it starts creating a little bit of a partnership in in a very subtle way. Starts creating an opportunity for you to become a coach Mm -hmm. with the customer, right? Particularly if they're really lost about the problem or the issue that they're facing, you don't have any experience with it, don't have any knowledge about it. You you almost can turn into a coach to help build them up or build their business up from that perspective. It only creates a a stronger stronger ability to create that long-term relationship. Right. The customer, right. When you can see it that way. What else? So we had empathy, we had ego drive, confidence. Talk about the details. If you miss the details of the situation, you could be way off in a solution. First off. Right. Yeah. So you might mm-hmm. have a first meeting with a customer. You're showing a lot of empathy. You got a good product or service. You've got them hooked per se a little bit in wanting to keep the conversation going. And then you fall flat in your face. By not taking care of the details of what needs to be done through the sales process right. to finish it to a completed sale. You know, particularly the more complex of an issue that you're talking about or a lengthy sales process. Mm-hmm. I know in my world, I was dealing with governments mm. in my previous career that had a lot of bureaucracy <laughs> and yeah. processes and answering RFPs or requests for proposals that a lot of a lot of details in that process that had to be taken care of and dealt with. And often would have a team of people, five to 10 people that are all working together on a response to a proposal. That if you fail flat on your face with that piece, you're not going anywhere in business. It just, it helps to build the brand, helps to build a relationship if you're taking care of the little things to move that process along with the customer. When you read reviews, a lot of times, one of the biggest things you see too is, oh my gosh, paid such attention to detail and didn't miss anything. We didn't have to redo paperwork or we didn't have to redo any of this. I mean, when we bought our house, that was one of the biggest things I was impressed with was our closing because I'd heard nightmares Mm -hmm. of paperwork being missed Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And... Money not being where it needs to be at the right time. So our, you know, our real estate agent, our mortgage guy, the closing attorney, they were Mm -hmm. all just on their P's and Q's. And I was just blown away and recommend them to anybody. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of, you know, closings being two and three hour affairs and just dragging on and things going back and forth. And ours took 45 minutes and that's because we talked a little extra. 
if we just got straight into doing all the paperwork, we would have mm-hmm. been done in yeah. 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Easy. And it was just attention to detail. Yeah. And they know what they're doing. You know, once you know the details and everything, effective communication is the next step. Well, it's a, it's an important item for any relationship, right? Yeah. For a relationship to exist, there has to be good communication, whether it's in person or not in person. You know, how you approach emails with a potential customer, how mm-hmm. you actually communicate when you're meeting in person, how are you communicating while you're going through the sales process? Right. Educating the customer. This is how we do business. This is how we need to do things, whether it be for a, a regulatory reason, or this is the way we like to do business, or this is what we need for our internal needs, for compliance, or even just a company's compliance, let alone compliance with a regulatory body to right. get things done. How well are you educating the customer once you, they seem to have an interest? This is how we do business, and this is how we get to the end point that you have our product or service in place, and it's Helping or fixing the problem that right. we is the whole reason why we're here initially to talk about, right? I just don't I don't see how a salesperson could ever be successful if they're not good communicators. No, I mean, it, it goes back to last week to there's got to be three points of communication in this sales team, which is the entire company is your sales team. But there's got to be effective communication from leadership to sales team, mm-hmm. right? to relay the why the problem being fixed and to get everybody bought in to create the tribe within the company, Mm -hmm. then there's got to be effective communication from sales team to client to further create that tribe outside of the company. Again, you look at companies like Apple, the communications there, the buy-in is there. Or even the, the communication involved in marketing. You know, exactly. Talk, go That's back a to form of communication. Last so. week, right? You can have people that would be big fans of you as a company and your brand and so forth, even though they don't have a need in their own business or life at that moment in time for the product or service right. or products or services that you offer. Just by... What they see in terms of TV commercials or marketing, or they see you at an event, you, your company has a tent at an event, and they're kind of curious of what your company's about. How do the people on the other side of the table present their brand and their company? Even though they don't have a need for this at the moment, they might in future years or future months. Absolutely. And they can be, those can also be your loudest speakers. Cause I can personally say I have, you know, friends that are, you know, self-employed or business owners, and I don't necessarily need their product or service at this point. Mm-hmm. But when I come into contact with somebody that does, I'm like, "Hey, you've got to go talk to yeah, like." You their became group. a salesperson, right? I'm basically I become <laughs> their I become their outside sales team, right? Even yeah. though I don't need or use their product, right? I believe in what they do and how they help people or whatever problem that they solve. I believe in it. I may not have that problem, but I believe in what they do and. If I come across somebody well, that that's where, it serves. That's where a company brand meets a personal brand. Yeah. How you're representing and presenting yourself as a person helps to build those relationships and that confidence in you. And that's part of what you're looking for in a sales force is people that have built good personal brands by who they are as a person, how they present themselves, and the experience level and trust level people have with just by encountering you as a human being, let alone in your job. And that's... Part of the reason why I created this uh, Generate Your Value movement is to get people to see that the boundaries are thin or small or or non-existent Mm -hmm. even when it comes to to branding and how you present yourself and how you're generating value Mm -hmm. in this world. 
whether it's the person on the other side of the table that's actually working for the company versus how that then transfers, if you will, to other people because of their experience and trust level from that encounter they have with you that can then sort of push that ball down the hill, so to speak, and other potential people that they know that within their network or their acquaintances that might have that need. Absolutely. You know, we don't want to go take a good friend or a good person on our network and tell them to go to a company that's going to provide a lousy service. So to build your tribe, if you will, or your network by putting on that good face, that good personal brand in your role, along with a good company brand and product and service is like the win-win from that standpoint. So that sort of leads us to our last last items in the in the episode here, right? Is that we've been talking about people that are dedicated their jobs to being salespeople. But the reality is we're all salespeople, right? Right. No matter what role that we have in a company, to, to a certain level of degree, we're all salespeople because we're all representing the company in mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. kind of role or aspect. And in our personal brand, in our corporate brand is being put out there. You know, as we were talking before we started recording, somebody that's in supplier management, and their relationship and their encountering, if you will, with potential or current vendors, they're supplying some product to you that you use then in your business. Right. Has as much to do with the brand and selling and, and that item we were just talking about in terms of the network and so forth as the people that are actually selling to targeted customers. It goes as far as if you've got somebody in product research and development Mm -hmm. they carry the brand with them even outside of the office or the workspace right because their friends their family know what company they work for and that is a that somebody's view on the company is through that lens based on them so it, it again goes back to really establishing a culture and a tribe throughout the company and helping everybody be bought into the brand, your personal brand transferring, as you said, into the business brand mm-hmm. and then buying into the brand to represent that because that person could put a bad taste in somebody's mouth about the company and you just lost a potential client and they had nothing right. to do with the sales process right? directly. Yep. And if we're using that football analogy that we go all the way back to the beginning with, you've got to represent the name on the front and on the back of the Jersey, right? Right. Name on the front, personal brand on the the back and and, yep. And the, the company brands on the front. And represents the culture. And, you know, people talk about teams all the time. What's the culture on a team? You know, the culture of the Pittsburgh Steelers is different from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is different from the LA Rams. Right. Right. And how a football team interacts with the community around them, with their fans in the mm-hmm. seats that are paying the bills, and how they represent themselves on the field and with each other and out with the media and so forth. All of those things has to deal with the brand. Yep. And that's why take somebody, a Tom Brady, isn't out there directly selling tickets to fans. They're not actually... Right. A foot or two foot away from a person selling the tickets, but they have everything to do with the brand and the desire for somebody to come to a, a football game and watch a game. Oh yeah. Right. He's their biggest salesperson now. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, so he's not directly involved in the sales process, but he is but a salesperson. He is a salesperson, exactly. He's a salesperson. Exactly. And, and that's the point we're trying to make here is that if you're involved in the company in some way, you're going to have an impact on the sales mm-hmm. and the building of a brand. And that's what we mean when we say everybody's a salesperson. Because you are, you're selling a culture, you're selling a brand. You're selling an actual product or service that's going to de- deliver value to the customer that they're going to be willing to shell over some money for. Right. And that's the kind of mindset you need within your business and within your culture to be successful in it. I mean, just you mentioned Apple at the beginning of the episode. That whole branding, the people, yeah, yeah, people in Apple stores that are directly selling to a customer. Right. But the reality is, from the researchers to the software developers to designing computers and iPhones and whatever, everybody is a salesperson because they're all contributing to the brand. And on top of that, Apple has more salespeople than any other company probably because of the tribe that they've created in their client base. Yes. Apple people are Apple fanatics. We talked about creating fans. When you have a tribe, when you have a culture to where not only your salespeople and the people in the company are bought into the brand and will fight for the brand and will defend the brand, but your clients will. That's where magic happens. Yep. And that all starts through exactly this process is doing the off-season work, developing the playbook, the players to go win the game, and then... Again, a football team is a great analogy because, I mean, look at football fans, right? Look at your diehard Green Bay Packers fans, Steelers fans, New England fans, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's more smack talking around football teams that really have nothing to do with fans' lives. No. Has no direct impact on their income, their family life, anything. Right. But because that tribe has been created, they will sometimes literally physically fight for that team, right? <laughs> Given enough alcohol at a tailgater, that gets right down to that point. Everybody's a salesperson. Right. Even including your client base. And I hope our listeners will see our methods, if you will, as to why we did the episodes in the order that we did. You know, if you're bringing a podcast to the table to talk about small businesses, readily people would think, well, Initial episodes are going to talk about sales, going to talk about production, going to talk about the financial aspect and so forth. But the reality is the foundational elements that we've talked through in our previous, I don't know, what is it, 13, 12 episodes are all key ingredients to these items. We've probably referred back to previous episodes in this episode more than any other episode because they're all foundational elements to lead up Mm -hmm. to this aspect of sales, which everybody considers to be a key component in a business. Right. Right. To talk about personal branding, to talk about growth mindsets, to talk about corporate branding, fear versus love, all those type things that we've talked about in previous episodes are all build building blocks and foundational elements that get us into the now more core fundamental aspects of a business that we're now going to be talking about here in the next few episodes is the importance of why we, we did it in the way that we did it. There is a method to the madness of why we brought it to the table, so to speak, for our listeners in this. Right. And to our listeners, just 
expressing gratitude for tuning in with us. The reason we're here, we do this for y'all to generate value. And again, just our ask at the end of every episode, if y'all will, if you're tuning in and you found value in the episode today, click that subscribe button, spread the word, give us a share, a like on Facebook. Yeah, um, we, we want this to be a more than a podcast. We want this to be a movement in getting more of the world to understand about generating value in the world and how they can work themselves in their life, whether they're a business owner or even in their personal life, to generate more positive value in the world that we all can build off of as mm-hmm. foundational elements to a better world. And so we hope you'll join us in that movement. So again, movement, tribe, join our tribe. But if you do resonate, but seriously, it is about a movement. It's about changing, you know, a big face of how business is viewed to create more value instead of just transactions. With that, we'll see y'all back here next week uh, on Tuesday. As always. Yeah, so have have a great day. Have a great week. Keep working on yourselves and your business, an effort to generate more value in this world and join the three of us in that cause and that why, so to speak, in the world. As Zach said, if we brought value to you today and in previous episodes, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Generate Your Value podcast. If you find our conversations to be useful in your life, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can find me online on Instagram at The Fitzpreneur, Facebook, and LinkedIn. For information on my coaching services, if you're in the Atlanta area, go to www.generateyourvalue.com. You can also find me and my company on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply search for Generate Your Value on those platforms. Once again, thanks for joining us for today's podcast. And we invite you to generate your value in this world.